take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Hi guys, and welcome to our special New Year's Eve edition of Field Preachers. Now because it's New Year's Eve, it's the end of the year, it's a time where we reflect on things, we wanted to share a special podcast with you this evening. Um, I've had this unique opportunity to leave Virginia Beach after 10 years of planting there and move to Nashville, where I have literally encountered church planters from all across our connection, all five jurisdictions, and even spent time in South Korea learning about church planting there for a while. And so in reflecting on all these things I've learned, on all the experiences that others have shared with me, I wanted to share them with you and kind of summarize them for you. Because here's the thing, if I were to go out and plant today, even though it's only been 10 years since I started and six months since I left, uh, the realities of church planting are shifting, my friends. Things are changing. And if you are planting in 2020, uh, if you start planting in 2020, there are some new realities that I want to prepare you for, realities that we're all facing. And so in no particular order at all, here are the top five realities of planting in 2020. Reality number one, we will not have enough pastors to plant churches. We just won't have enough. We've never really had a massive pool of church planters to draw from. It's always seemed like church planters were unicorns, right, in the annual conference. We knew they were there. We just couldn't find them. But guys, the problem's getting even more real uh, for a couple of factors. Seminaries across the board are seeing fewer students in roles. Seminary's really expensive. Maybe people aren't interested in it. Who knows? Bottom line is we have fewer people graduating from seminary and going into ministry. And not only that, but even some conferences that never struggle with new clergy coming in are starting to struggle because so many folks are retiring, right? And so, so many conferences have this issue where, my goodness, like, even though this person is the skilled and amazing church planter, I have five churches that are begging me for a pastor. How do I tell them no and send this person out to kind of create or form a new faith community when there's a need elsewhere? So it's hard. It's real. It's something that I haven't seen as much before, but will definitely be a reality moving forward. And so, you know, what's the solution to this? What do we do? Because here's here's another real fact is that when we start new spaces for new faces, when we try to reach out to people in new and innovative ways, those faith communities, those new church starts, those plants um, have higher rates of adult baptisms, right, and professions of faith. They have worship attendance that grows more quickly than in established churches. And they're able to really do incredible things. And and we don't want to stop that. So if we don't have the same amount of people that we did, how do we continue to keep up with the pace that we need of planting new faith communities? Well, the the solution that I've seen and heard and experienced and been a part of uh, helping to shape and form here at Path One is we've created a curriculum called pioneering missional communities, which says, listen, we need to start new new things. We need to reach new people. But maybe, just maybe, the future of church planting in Methodism isn't going to be pastors starting new churches, but laity starting new churches. People just like you, people in the pews who have a heart and a passion to reach others. You know, how do we train and equip and, and empower them to go out to the restaurant or to the YMCA or to the school and, and start a new faith community, share that love of Jesus and help people connect to God? 
um, for the first time. It, it's something that's been a theme here at Discipleship Ministries as we talk about seeing all the people. What does it mean to see all the people? Are we doing that well in our churches and as pastors? Can we look and find lay people that might be able to do the incredible work that we're doing too? Can we embrace this priesthood of all believers? I met a pastor named Ken Nash. He started Cornerstone uh, United Methodist Church in Grand Rapids. I think he's in Watermark, at Watermark now in New York, near Buffalo. But anyways, um, Ken has this incredible story, and he really feels it's important to be training and equipping, mentoring, and seeking out leaders right in your own church to start new things. And he's done that effectively, like time and time again, and and has started multiple campuses, multi-sites out of his church that are lay-led. So we need to... um, be open to that and explore that more deeply and look into what that means in our denominational system. You know, how do we make them lay supply, licensed local pastors? What does that process look like? That is for you guys to decide. I'm just here in Nashville saying that we have a need for more people out there starting new things. And laity just might be the answer. Um, A scripture verse that comes to mind as I think about seeing all the people and the importance of that is, guys, we serve a God that that sees all of us and always has. One of my favorite stories from the Old Testament is from Genesis 16, where Hagar is afraid and she's alone and she feels abandoned. This woman disconnected from Abraham's family and God comes to her in her time of need and says, you know, I see you, you are not alone. And Hagar ends up being the first person in all of scripture to give God a name, to tell God who God is. And she says, you are the one who sees. So let's live into the image of God. Let's see those around us, people who are in need, people who feel disconnected, who just might want a faith family, and to know they're not alone. How might we bring them back to health in such a way that um, nations can come to serve God through our witness and our ability to see them and encourage them along the way? All right, uh, reality number two is that our planters are extremely disconnected in our connectional system of Methodism. I've talked to so many church planters who have no idea that someone is in such a similar context or having a similar struggle or that there are multiple church planters even in their annual conference. We just don't know who's out there. And because we don't know who's out there, we feel so alone. I remember I had a clergy luncheon one time in my district where all the pastors were gathering, and um, some of them were just being really critical. My plant was pretty new, but we were averaging like 100 to 120 on a Sunday. So, you know, we were growing. We were reaching folks. And one of the pastors looked at me and said, oh, you're just the dog and pony show. You're like the little circus. You'll be around for a little while and then gone. And I was like, ouch, like that hurts to feel like I don't belong, that I'm not understood. And we need to really combat uh, that feeling of isolation in 2020. We need to find ways. And at Path One, just so you know, this is what I'm doing for you. If you are a church planter out there who feels alone, email me. Like right now, don't wait. rgilmore at umcdiscipleship.org because we're creating these opportunities for people to gather. At some of the conferences you always go to. So like, what if at Catalyst, we were all there together as a tribe, hanging out, encouraging, talking, knowing each other. Um, At Exponential, we do pre-conferences. I'll be at two of those and leading workshops so that you can come and learn, but also 
experience life as this cohort um, and be challenged in smaller groups to go deeper in your relationship with each other. We also had a veteran planter gathering where I was amazed that like 14 people who did not know each other all showed up at an Airbnb in Chicago to talk, laugh, and cry together for a few days. We're going to do an early uh, Methodism pilgrimage along the eastern seaboard in February for anyone who's discerning if they might be called to plant a church or is in their first three years or so of church planting as a way, again, of connecting you through relationships all across our connection, all five jurisdictions represented, so that you know you're not alone in this, that there are people that that can walk alongside you with whatever the future may hold for the United Methodist Church. You know, in Romans 12, 5, it says, in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And I think we need to do a better job, at least I'm trying to do a better job here at Path One, of, of helping church planters feel like we are one body, that we know each other, and who else is out there. Uh, reality number three, moving on in our list, is church planters, more so than when I started. Like, when I started and <laughs> talking to, like, Jerry and Sarah, Christian, we had— like, no idea what we were doing. We were just trying to survive early on, figure out what church planting meant. Um, but the church planters that I'm meeting today that are early on in their journey have this deep hunger and desire to understand themselves better, to understand their strengths and their weaknesses, um, using all kinds of assessments that are out there. Uh, one of them that's my favorite, that's a favorite of others, is the Enneagram. And I know, I know, it's not scientific like some of the others, okay? It's not a Myers-Briggs. It's not a strengths finder. I have a twin sister with a PhD in psychology who is like, I refuse to take the Enneagram. It is not scientific. I get it. I hear you. But, you know, I'm finding some really strong, like, correlations between the numbers that church planters have, and it just helps them understand when I'm at my best, what does that look like? What is the greatest temptation for me? Do I have a wing? How does that change me? So it's been, like, fun to learn and explore more about who I am. It reminds me, um, there's a quote. He was a philosopher in the French Renaissance, and his name, I might totally, like, butcher this, but I'm trying, guys. Uh, his name was Michel de Montagnier, and he said, the greatest thing in the world is to know how to belong to oneself. So I see church planters wanting to take things like the Enneagram or StrengthsFinder or IDI or Big Five, whatever it is, so that they can belong to themselves, so they know who they are, and more importantly, know the kind of team that they need around them to be able to plant well without burning out, without messing it up royally, with finding balance and, and other voices to walk alongside you, not just from church planters around the nation, but people right there uh, in your community who share that vision of what it is God's called you to do. So we need to be more open to helping planters understand themselves so that they can have the right team, maybe of other pastors or of other laity that can plant alongside them. You know, hearing the story of Christian Kuhn and Trey Hall, who planted Urban Village Church together, or Sarah and Alan Ewing Merrill, who started Hope Gateway together. When you know that there's someone right alongside you in the trenches every step of the way, it can bring such hope. So we need to be more open to understanding and belonging to ourselves more so that we know who we need alongside us in this crazy journey of planting. Uh, reality number four is a tough one. And I'm sorry, this might offend church planters more than anyone else, but I've learned this cold hard truth, guys. It scares me too. And it is that we need to seriously rethink funding strategies. 
you know, the days of a church planter getting hundreds of thousands of dollars to start a new church, and those days are over, right? I mean, we saw this heyday. I talked to Paul Nixon, who's been on staff with Path One, I think, like, since the beginning. And I said, Paul, when did they really start to infuse, you know, resources a- across all of United Methodism in the U.S. Uh, for church planting to make it a priority? And he said, you know, it was really in, like, 2009 to 2012. And Path One, he said, represented a doubling of planting efforts nationally. So planting doubled in that quadrennia. And after that, we kind of hung in there, he said, from 2013 to 2016. But the reality is a lot of churches are aging, right? There are churches that are closing. There's a lot of division in our denomination now around issues of things like homosexuality. And so the giving just isn't there. The apportionments are just not there. And we're starting to feel that, especially when it comes to church planting. So even though we're kind of ahead of where we would have been if we hadn't really had that surge and that emphasis on funding church plants and and developing a planting culture, there's just no promise of this huge cash flow ahead. So knowing that and knowing that it can be years, like literally years before a church plant can pay its own bills, like what do we do? Uh, We need to think of external streams of revenue. You know, there are church planters like Mike Bachman, uh, who started a coffee shop at Union. Um, I started two preschools in the first five years of my plant that became an external source of revenue. That's not why we started them at all. They were meant to be a mission. But if they could help fund kids ministry at the church, you know, that's a win-win, right? So, we have to think as entrepreneurs or like in North Texas, they're looking at maybe trying to partner or match social entrepreneurs with church planters so that they have this shared vision, this shared drive, and they can create something together that is more sustainable because you have some type of business element attached to it to make it all happen. So when it comes to funding, guys, like all bets are off in 2020 and beyond about how we're going to do this. And we need to be more innovative and consider being bivocational or co-vocational. I think that's another reason why training laity to go out and start missional communities or fresh expressions is so appealing to so many people because it doesn't cost anything for me to take what I've learned on Sunday and then take it out into the community as I have a missional group that meets, you know, in a coffee shop on Wednesday nights to connect to God in their own unique sacred space. Um, so that that's something to talk and think about more, but definitely a shift that is happening in 2020. And this whole concept of being innovative when it comes to funding strategies, being bivo or co-vocational, my friends, it is nothing new, right? If we look at the Apostle Paul, sometimes he did receive money and financial support from churches. But other times, like in he's a tent maker, right? He's working to help sustain his ministry. We see that in Acts 18, 1 to 3, um, or I think in chapter 20, 33 to 35, in Philippians 4, 14 to 16, we read about the Apostle Paul as a, as a tent maker, and that can be an effective and healthy paradigm for starting new things. Now, the caveat is that you really need an intense self-care plan, right, to make sure that you are staying grounded, that you're not burned out, that things are balanced, that the expectations are a little different because you don't have the same amount of time that a full-time pastor planter might have to devote to this new faith community. So it's something to keep in mind moving forward in 2020. And finally, reality number five about church planting in 2020 
is, guys, I think it is time for a come to Jesus about metrics. When it comes to planting new churches, what makes something an effective church? Is it that you have 100? Uh, so here are things that I've heard over the last decade, right? Well, you just need 120 people in worship. Uh, and then when I clarified, they said, well, not people, just adults. We only count adults, right? Or some say 140. Some break it down into giving units. But it's been really heavily focused around your average worship attendance and your giving. And that might be working for you and continue to work in 2020. But when I talk to planters, they like break out in hives, right, with the thought of that being our goal. I'm here to start something new, and it's all about numbers, like either butts in seats or the money in the bank account. Could it be about more than that? And and I had this really fascinating discussion that Jerry Herships uh, led when we were in Chicago with the veteran planters. And he said, you know, sometimes I get pushback because there are like maybe 35 to 50 people that go to after hours every week in Denver. But maybe there's only 35 to 50 people gathering there for our quote unquote worship. But 100 sandwiches are made every day and served to people experiencing homelessness in the park. And who's measuring that? No one's asking me for those numbers or that data or the, the amount of giving that he has that comes from outside the faith community that went at the time that he left could fund it for an additional two years with no extra money coming in. So what are our current metrics and are they working for us or not? Are they really helping us understand what the purpose is behind starting a new thing, a new faith community, a new church plan? So let's talk about that. I, I'm, I'm working with a small group of people that is literally having conversations about this, some seminary professors and some coaches, some strategists, some developers, to say, are these metrics life-giving or not, and what could we be looking at? And I know that for myself when I thought about what helped me get out of bed every morning and plant a church, and why I did what I did, why so many of us do what we do, um, and why the United Methodist Church, we say, exists. We say that we are here, say it with me, guys, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So could that be our metric? You know, how many disciples are we making? How many lives are transformed? And this is where, like, all my thought process kind of like, I don't know if it derails or it's like spaghetti, but I'm thinking about that. Like, what is a disciple? Okay, so if we start with that, what what is a disciple? You might say, oh, well, it's just like someone who follows Jesus, right? And so that sounds great. Um, for me, I turned to Matthew 22 to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus, where Jesus says, listen, the greatest command, the thing that you need to do is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So for me, that's kind of what discipleship is, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Why is it so hard for us to start new things that reach new people? Um, are we not loving God? Probably. Are we not loving our neighbor? Oh, most definitely. Have you seen the news in 2019? Right. But I, I think it goes down to even the most basic level. We can't love our neighbors as ourselves if we don't love ourselves. And I think in, in my interactions with other church planters, hearing their experience and in my own is, my goodness, guys, we're facing this crisis where people have been told for so long that they are unworthy, that they are not enough, that they are not lovable, that they are not seen, that they are not important. 
that they don't even know how to receive the love of God to then share it with back to God and to their neighbor. So, you know, it leads them from this place of saying, you know, I'm not lovable to I'm not enough to I don't have enough. And when we don't have enough, we try to take it from everybody else. And then it becomes really hard to start a new faith community in that environment where people are living with this idea of like scarcity. There's not enough of anything that matters most. And so I've just got to look out for myself. And that can be a really, really hard context in which to start something new that's really grounded in the story of God's love for us all. So, you know, my hope, I know my goal for 2020 is to really reconnect with that love, to know that um, I am seen, that I am important and valued, and to share that story with as many people as possible and remind them that you know, God sees you as you are. God loves you. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. And that's the story that we need to be telling. Because if if I'm really brutally honest, when I think about 2020 in the folks that I've talked to, so many people have this fear of, you know, what if 2020 is the last year of the United Methodist Church as I know it? And that's a possibility. We do have a general conference coming. No one knows what's going to happen. I'm not going to tell you how to vote or what plan to support. But um, there is a real chance that things might change or even end or die in some way. And so that can create this whole fear that brings us right back to the beginning of the story, right? Like, am I lovable? Is this going to be okay? You know, am I enough? Will we survive this? And I think in closing, uh, my hope and prayer for you is that you realize that you are loved and that whatever happens, even if the Methodist Church as we know it um, dies in some way, here's the good news. We serve a God that brings life from death, a God that brings new years from old years, and a God that continues to have work for us and a story of love that needs to be told to the end of the earth. So don't quit. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Hold on. There are new realities on the horizon, but it doesn't mean that um, that we have anything to fear. It doesn't mean that we um, can't hold on to the hope that only comes from God. So you guys are amazing. We have so many more stories of field preachers to tell in 2020. Really, it's going to be amazing, the voices that you're going to hear from. So, you know, we have things to listen to um, from folks like Jasper out at Belong Church or uh, Adam Weber from Embrace, Matt Majofsky from The Gathering, uh, Matt Temple, uh, who planted a church out in Iowa. So good stories come your way. I hope you tune in. I hope you have an amazing new year that you take time to stop and to reflect, to think about what matters most and um, to lean into the love of God that will sustain you every step of the way. As always, it is an honor and privilege to be the host of this Field Preachers podcast. Happy New Year! Field Preachers podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.